0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'm so glad you're here. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. I see that so many of you are listening to and using the daily affirmations episodes, and I hope they continue to be tools that you can use for support, encouragement, and strengthening your daily meditation practice. If you enjoy this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast. Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I start every single morning with a cup of their Fire on the Mountain Organic Coffee Blend. And if you're anything like me, and you're particular about what you eat and drink and how it's sourced, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee. Coffee a taste. Head to their website, snake river roastingco.com, and use the code Coffee Love at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. I want to open this episode with a piece by Rumi, and this is one that I used to share in some of my yoga classes and workshops. Forget the world and so command the world. Be a lamp or a lifeboat or a ladder. Help someone's soul heal. Walk out of your house like a shepherd. Stay in the spiritual fire. Let it cook you. Be well-baked loaf and Lord of the table. Come and be served to your brothers. You have been a source of pain. Now you'll be the delight. You have been an unsafe house. Now you'll be the one who sees into the invisible. I said this. And a voice came to my ear. If you become this, you will be that. Then silence, and now more silence. A mouth is not for talking. A mouth is for tasting this sweetness. And I think what I love most about that piece is the way that transformation is identified through the lens of what someone is about to experience instead of what they've just lost. And as someone who's lost a lot of my life, I guess I just appreciate that perspective. So, welcome to the apocalypse, because that's what we're talking about today. The end of the world, the beginning of a new one, and other stories of resurrection. And I know it's on trend to look at the last 18 months and say that it was not an apocalypse. I have read post after post of wellness influencers discussing how nothing that happened was actually an apocalypse. And I guess I just see things differently. I think about the word apocalypse and what it actually means in its true definition and how helpful that can be when processing everything that has happened to us and in the world around us. So many people, the media included, refer to any large-scale catastrophic event or chain of devastating events to humanity or in nature as an apocalypse or as apocalyptic but the Greek word actually means something a bit different. The literal translation is from cover. And so an apocalypse is not so much about the form in which something happens to us, but it is the revelation, the knowing of something previously misunderstood or unknown. An apocalypse is the rising to the surface of a truth or an important disclosure that changes our reality the end of one reality, and the dawn of a new one. In our lifetime, we go through many an apocalypse, and sometimes we shut our eyes and numb ourselves through them, hoping that they'll pass, and then the lessons escape us only to be repeated at a later date. Other times, like right now, we are wide awake. We are seeing and knowing what could only have been revealed to us through the disruptions and the unveilings of this apocalypse. This has to happen to us in order for us to see something. There's no way around, only through. And with that definition in mind, I think it perfectly sums up the last 18 months for so many of us. It's easy to focus on the things that we lost, as those are within arm's reach. They're very tangible, they're on the surface, and they're easily inventoried. But I'm going to invite you to pause for a moment and go a bit deeper. What was revealed to you in the last 18 months about the universe, this planet, the world as we know it, our country or state, your community, your job, your finances, your health, maybe your friendships, your family, your intimate relationships, even your inner world, your thoughts, your fears, and your soul? What rose to the surface in the midst of loss and destruction? That could not have been known by you in any other way? What were you forced to tell the truth about this year? For so many of the people in my life, the way that we looked at ourselves changed. All the things that we used to use to orient and calibrate ourselves in this world were now suddenly inaccessible to us. Suddenly, we were not our professions or how we were viewed in a workplace, And many of us face harsh realizations around feeling disposable and vulnerable, and with none of our usual social or recreational activities available to us to burn off those feelings. Our socializing came through a screen. That's not natural. When I started outlining this episode, as strange as it sounds, I started thinking about the film Apocalypse Now, and it wasn't just because of the title. And I didn't immediately think of the violent scenes or the wild scenes. I thought of that one quiet scene that takes place between Willard and Kurtz when Willard finally arrives at Kurtz's encampment after so much trauma in order to carry out a mission that has been assigned to him by a really complicated and difficult system. And he's just following orders, even though he's not sure if it's the right thing to do. And he arrives in this place of eerie, quiet, and calm, after an entire film that's characterized by intense chaos. And Kurtz asks him if he is an assassin. And Willard responds that he's a soldier. And Kurtz replies, you're neither. You're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. And maybe that scene resonates with me in this discussion of our collective apocalypse because our identities, the things we call ourselves or the names that we've answered to, who we thought ourselves to be in the world or the path that we thought we were on, they've all been revealed to be not quite so accurate or secure after this year. And on one hand... There's a lot of freedom in that if how we see ourselves now feels more in alignment with our truth and our core values. If we learn something about our skills, our strengths, our wants, or our needs, that's amazing. But with any kind of freedom also comes a certain amount of loss and grief for the life or identity or even the naivety that we used to have. On the other hand, Maybe what we found out about ourselves or our place in the world or the people in our lives just doesn't feel very good. Maybe for you, this year is full of harsh wake-up calls that pushed you into new realities or dynamics that you weren't prepared for. And listen, maybe you had the best year of your entire life and absolutely nothing that I share on this podcast makes any sense to you. And you wonder to yourself every single day why you listen to me talk about all of these strange and sometimes not so happy things. And if that's the case, I'm actually happy for you. You might be my hero. What I'm saying may not make a lot of sense to you, but it also might help you to be more understanding of the people in your life who did struggle or are continuing to struggle this year. But for the rest of us, How do we navigate this new terrain armed with the knowledge that was unearthed during this time? Part of the power of all of this unearthed information is the change that takes place because of it. What do we do with this new version of ourselves? What does this version of us want and need? I do see a big push in the media and on social media to get back to the way things were. And I'm absolutely not here to pick on anyone at all. Everyone's viewpoint is welcome. I get it. And I actually understand that impulse, even if I don't agree with it. This year was so scary in so many ways. Who doesn't want to crawl back into the warm bed of 2019 and wake up in 2022 pretending that a lot of this was just a bad fever dream? Even the good changes that occurred, and there were many, even they, they bring up fears over their sustainability. Can any of the good things that happen last? Are we learning anything from it? Maybe one of the heaviest questions in our hearts after this year is, where do I belong? I know I've been asking myself that almost every day. And maybe you don't feel comfortable asking that out loud. I know that I rarely do, I'm not having this conversation in public and with everyone. There's one or two people that I talk about this with. We see so many highlights from everyone's lives that it can be a challenge to tap into our own truth and vulnerability and say, I don't like how things are going. Or I'm having a hard time. Or I'm worried about the future. Or I have no idea how I'm going to pay rent next month. or. I am grateful because I know that I'm okay in this year when a lot of people are not, but I still wanted more. Society will applaud us for our bravado while we slowly kill ourselves with worry, isolation, and shame. And I just don't buy into it. My goal has always been to create spaces, whether in community or in my personal relationships, where people in my life feel as if they can come to me as their whole selves not just selecting the highlight reel or the photo with the good lighting when they're actually dying inside. Maybe this apocalyptic year forced you into survival mode and you're having a difficult time stretching, exhaling, taking up space, or diving into the stream of life. It's hard to be hopeful about the future when you're constantly looking over your shoulder and thinking, what next? What else is going to happen? And if you're feeling that way, this is the perfect time to ask yourself, what helps me to decompress? What helps me to feel safe, supported, and grounded? And am I inviting that into my life right now? Am I cultivating that? And it might take some time. And I know that can sound negative when you're being bombarded by messages of just get back to life as you knew it. Everything's back on track. Especially if you don't feel that way inside. But maybe just tuning into how you do feel is a lot more realistic than just throwing open the curtains and being blinded by things getting back to normal. It's really okay if you can't downshift that fast. All of your feelings are valid. Earlier this week, a friend shared with me that they were struggling to have any feelings whatsoever about life, work, relationships, or this return to normal everyone keeps talking about. This person doesn't have dread. They don't have anxiety. They simply have nothing. And to be perfectly honest with you, when they said that, I felt more understood than I have in a long time. I responded, and I shared the best way that I could describe my feelings, and it's this. People who are visually impaired can't see the world around them, but they can sense it, feel it, touch it, smell it, and taste it with incredible depth. They can take a finger and trace the outline of things from braille to the bone structure of someone's face and have a perfect understanding of what they've read or felt. While I feel the exact opposite these days, I can see my life right in front of me. I can make out every nuance, every flaw every joy, everything in intense detail, but I can't feel or sense any of it. I might as well be standing behind a thick piece of plexiglass while the rest of the world is just overjoyed after being separated for over a year and everyone's reconnecting and they're feeling big feelings. And I don't. And it was difficult to share the truth and the maybe eccentricity of my feelings with someone when I know I'm supposed to be overjoyed, but I'm not quite there. Maybe too much was revealed to me in the distance between where I am and where I want to be, or what I had and what I lost maybe that feeling of being behind the plexiglass and observing life instead of actually feeling it was something I was really familiar with and had never put words to. And it's only been brought to the surface now in the early stages of this post-apocalyptic renaissance where everyone's having big feelings at high volumes and I still feel as if I have none. Maybe some of us are finally making space for some of the undesirable feelings we have about ourselves, or the world, or just anything that rose up during this time. Or maybe something's just moving through us, just waiting to be born. And I'm pretty sure that birth itself feels like an apocalypse to a baby, and to the person giving birth as well. For the baby, the world as they know it is contracting and pushing them out of their comfort zone into a whole new world that they feel completely unprepared for. For the person giving birth, they're facing the death of life as they knew it and the profound reveal of the new life that they're responsible for and the new perspectives they'll have about everything and everyone from this moment on. You know, in the midst of all of my past hospice work, I began to take on birth doula clients, which might not make a lot of sense to some people, but when you're surrounded by so much sickness and death, your desire to witness life coming into this world is almost overwhelming. At the time, I just needed to feel life and newness and to support others in their experience of all the joy and all the feelings of bringing life into the world. And I began to notice something really strange, incredibly beautiful, and almost apocalyptic that happened during birth. The person giving birth would be struggling for hours, moving through every contraction, every wave of fear, and every feeling of, I can't take it anymore. And then when it came to a moment when they literally could not take it anymore, everything would just stop and a new type of panic would set in. In a moment, it would switch from, this can't be right. There's no way this is how this is supposed to feel. I don't think I can survive this to, why did it stop? What's happening? What's wrong? And after about 20 or 30 minutes of this pause, birth resumes And the baby and the parent are ready for the final push into the world. And after all of those feelings of the world coming to an end, a new one suddenly begins. Birth is messy that way. We are messy that way. And I have no doubt that an apocalypse is messy that way. Revealing who we are or what we have the capacity to be at the precise moment when we think everything is going in the wrong way. This pause, this moment when you feel as if you've hit some kind of a wall, when your world has stopped turning, the moment that should feel like a reprieve or an exhale, it's actually a reminder not to stop. It's a reminder that you do want to keep going and find out what's waiting for you on the other side, even if part of you has to fall away to get there. And this pause is natural, and it's a necessary part of the process. Tara Brock has written about the concept of querencia, which can be interpreted as finding your focus and strength in the refuge of a pause. And she reminds us that in the midst of a bullfight, there's this area of safety in the arena for the bull. The bull just has to find it inside himself and in the environment. And this place in this inner state where the bull can reclaim its strength and power are called its querencia. As long as the bull remains enraged and reactive, the matador is in charge. Yet when the bull finds Querencia, he gathers his strength and loses his fear. From the matador's perspective, at this point, the bull is truly dangerous, for he's tapped into his power. So Querencia is this space where we find our refuge and renewal in the midst of an apocalypse. And refuge and renewal are two elements which are crucial to poignant and powerful forward motion. The image that comes to mind is pulling back on the bow so that when the time is right, the arrow can fly. Dr. Clarissa Pinquola Estes wrote of her experience studying the similarities between wolves and human behavior in her book, Women Who Run with the Wolves. And Dr. Estes tells us that when an intruder or prey appears, The wolf pack draws together at a safe distance to breathe together. They can attack immediately in this formation if they needed to, but instead they pause and they connect with the terrain and with each other. And they do this to focus and ground themselves in order to decide what to do next. Each breath readies them for anything that may happen. In this moment of indecision, They don't pounce in chaos. They simply sit and rock together and breathe. And when they've gathered their power and they're in sync with one another, then and only then do they act. And it's in stories like those that we're constantly reminded of the unlimited power we receive when we're willing to just be in the moment with our breath and our body. More often than not, when I've allowed space for this in my own life, I've left the moment open for grace to enter and to shift that pause and uncertainty or to calm the chaos. And I can so easily talk myself out of self-care, out of taking a pause or a deep breath by saying that it's unnecessary in these moments and that I have to rush through one uncomfortable moment to the next. I tell myself that it's indulgent to pause. I tell myself I can go on without it. And in a world full of people who think that caring for the self is a rebellious act, be a revolutionary. A good friend of mine says, sit down and meditate every day for at least 12 minutes. And when you find that you don't have enough time to do that during the day, then you should probably just sit down and meditate for 20 minutes. So take a deep breath today. Pause. Find refuge. Allow yourself to be reborn a little even in the midst of this extended apocalypse. And maybe for some of you, your apocalypse didn't happen this year. Maybe it happened a long time ago. The end of July 2011 was one of the darkest times in my life, and as I approach a 10-year anniversary of that, so many feelings are coming up for me. And I can vividly remember being alone in my apartment in Brooklyn and trying in vain to read myself to sleep. And the last line I read before I closed my eyes has stayed with me ever since, and it was this, the patient endurance of the uncreate. The next morning, I woke up feeling a little different, and I have no explanation for it. I was just a little more honest, a little more open, and to my surprise, a whole lot more willing. And it's been quite a journey ever since. It was that night that my own slow-moving apocalypse had reached a crisis point, and reading that one line shifted my whole perspective. And don't misunderstand me, it didn't make anything better magically or immediately, but it helped to change how I looked at things and how I moved through some of the apocalyptic phases that were revealing areas of my life that I just didn't feel ready to look at. Maybe that's something for you to do right now. Like what area of your life are you just not ready to look at? Maybe all of us are being invited to do that during this time. Patiently endure the uncertainty of life as we know it so that we can walk towards life as it could be. Part of the uncreate is allowing pieces of you that no longer look like you or sound like you or resonate with the life that you want to just fall away. And you don't have to throw them at anyone. And it doesn't have to be this loud or public purging process. Maybe it's just really quiet and gentle. Almost like leaves falling from a tree at the end of autumn. Closing out one cycle and preparing for another. Preparing for new growth and a new life. I keep imagining that so much of what fell apart in the last 18 months is sitting in a pile at my feet. And I have the opportunity to put it back together in a way that fits better for my life and in my own time and at my own pace, just one piece at a time. Facing or escaping or leaning into the truth of our own lives can feel like certain death. But maybe we are just getting born. And sometimes all of the structures, the connections, routines, and relationships They need to fall away and strip us down to the core of who we are. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's a really complicated and difficult gift. Because I forget, and maybe you do too, I'm so human. I start to think that I am my title at work, or I am the name I answer to, or I'm the other half of a romantic relationship, or I'm one branch of a large family tree, or I'm the money in my bank account, or I'm the car I drive, or I am what I think other people think of me. And it takes an uncomfortably long time and multiple experiences to force me to shed all of these distorted I am beliefs, to remember what is left of me when all of that falls away. Who am I at my core? I don't think any less of myself or of you if we didn't all have a profound inward experience this year. So much of what was being unveiled in real time was really challenging, and most of us were just trying to keep our heads above water. And for a lot of us, it's still happening. I know the message is, oh, everything's over, everything's fine. But to this day, so many of us are not beyond it, we're still in it. In each mini apocalypse of the last few months, has brought me closer to my center. And it's hard to say I'm grateful. It really is because so much of this has been difficult. But we can do our best to meet each day with clarity, receptivity, and trust even when we're struggling with it. And personally, I struggle with it. So much has been removed from my own life that I barely recognize what I thought was me. So I can't even imagine what other people are going through. May we all find our center. May we all answer to our true name. And hopefully we can all build a strong foundation with the pieces of all that has been revealed. May we welcome a season of softer lessons because God knows I need that. (laughs) May we empty ourselves and start over. The name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes, and the inspiration for that was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether it was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. And if I was going to write a love letter to myself about the apocalypse and resurrection, it would probably go something like this. I'm so proud of you, because you're still here, and even if no one has said this to you today said it to you lately, or any time at all during the last 18 months, I'm so glad you're still here with us because we need you. And no matter what your personal apocalypse or the collective apocalypse of this last year revealed to you, no matter if you welcomed it or you weren't ready to see it or hear it or experience it or receive it, no matter if you ran away from it or you're still running, no matter what you had to do to make it through, We still need you. We need your gifts, your confusion, your hope, your anxiety, your dreams. We need your truth and your contributions. We need your failures. We need all of it. We need your patient endurance in the midst of the collective uncreate. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that your world isn't ending. I have no idea if it is or if it isn't. I have no idea if your world is just getting started. I have no clue about the force of the contractions you have endured or how they continue to change you. But I do know you're not alone, even if no one in your world is openly talking about it. I'm here and I'm telling you that your hand is held through every pain. So when the waves of labor pains crash over you and your world cracks open and your new life is revealed, squeeze the hand of the person next to you. You'll be surprised at how often, despite a lack of words, they'll squeeze your hand right back and call in response. When we reach out for someone else's hand, we also release our grip on what we think our lives should look like. The less we deprive ourselves from the connection and care that would sustain us, the more that we're nourished and supported by the world around us. The less we have, the more we can hold. The more alone I get, the deeper in love I fall with all of you. And you are not alone in this birth, this life, this death, and this rebirth. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast. Thank you.